normally do this, but I'm going to read two chapters out of the Bible uh, because I just felt this week in preparation that God really wanted me to focus on them. Um, and I just want to read them. I'm reading them from the New Living Translation, the NLT, because I think it's the most modern and has the most impact to our hearing. So please sit back and listen. This is from Ecclesiastes, uh, that great book of cheerfulness that we all really like. Um, but we will see what God says to it out of this book or these two chapters this morning. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Round and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Something people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to, sorry, from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for what the, sorry, let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life on this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks 
filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but the fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun was so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all the hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless, uh, like chasing the wind. Wow, what two chapters, hey? I mean, they could have been written last week, couldn't they? You look at what they encapsulate and you think, wow, Simon, thank you, I'm really depressed now. But that's not what this is about. The writer is talking about things that have been going on for generations. 
You know, we think, you know, it's, it's really funny, isn't it, how kids come up and they kind of think, well, you know, mum and dad, they don't know a great deal. And then they realise as they get older, hey, we've done what they've done. You know, our phones may have been a little bit older and about seven times as large, um, but everything goes round in a cycle. That everything what, what has been has, has already happened before and it will come again and it will cycle round again and again. And the reason I wanted to mention this is that if I was to say anything, I'd say these two chapters encapsulate the depression and the mental health that people suffer from living on this earth. If I were to sit down with each one of you, you would have your own, as it says here, grief and despair and pain and nights of restlessness that you deal with. Everybody has those. And there is a reality of what he is preaching here that we are living in a world where the outcome is going to be like this because we are sinful human beings. But there is a relevance that I want to mention here. Even though history merely repeats itself, there is something in it that we can learn. I love this in verse 15. What is wrong cannot be made right. We feel helpless to change the world. We know there's so much wrong in our world. We read the news or we see the news and we think this needs to change and that needs to change. These laws need to change. But hey, we feel helpless to change them. And verse 18 says, The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. We live in a world that has more knowledge now than it has ever had. I mean, there is uh, an illness that people can have, which is information overload when they are dealing with data or dealing with stuff uh, that is more and more knowledge that they have to deal with. What interested me is, I mean, you know who the writer was? Yeah, the writer of this is assumed to be Solomon. Now, what he feared came to pass. He said, I'm working hard for all of this and it will be left behind to a successor who may not do well. Well, his successor was Rehoboam who made that silly statement that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist and they scourged you with whips and we will scourge you with scorpions and in one night he lost the kingdom. Just think about it. His father had worked his whole life and his son just threw all away in arrogance. So he, he knew what this brought. But the writer then says, well, okay, if it's all meaningless, I'm going to try to find meaning. And, and here's a list of the things that he went through. Yeah, I've got eight things that he went through. The first is pleasure in verse 1. He tries to find meaning in pleasure and it fails. So what does he do? In verse 3, he turns to alcohol. Doesn't work. And then he looks at property. Hey, maybe I can own a whole load of property. Doesn't work. Then it's possessions. Silver and gold and wealth is the, fourth, the fifth one in verse 8. Then he looks at fame. He became king. He was the greatest of all people in verse 9. And then it says in, in verse 10 that he could take everything he wanted. He had power. And then in verse 14, when he is older, he looks back and says, what legacy am I leaving? So here's a guy who's tried pleasure, alcohol, property, possessions, wealth, that whole thing of finance. 
He's tried fame, becoming famous. He's tried power. And then he looks at what he's leaving for the next generation. And he comes to this very simple conclusion. This is all pointless. This is not leading me anywhere in terms of value and why I am here on the earth. And his conclusion in verse 17 and verse 18 is, so I came to hate life. Now, there is enough statistics today of people trying to take their own lives. We're not talking about some pie-in-the-sky thing. There are people who hate their life. And then uh, verse 18, so I came to hate all my hard work. You know, one of the refrains when I talk to people about work is they say, I'm waiting to retire. I hate it. This is so relevant about where we are. And then in verse 20, he hits rock bottom and he says, so I gave up in despair. I would say the word despair is probably a word that encapsulates much of people's existence today. They hate their life, they've tried all these other things, they hate their work, and they end up living in despair. But right at the end, he comes up with a revelation and he says, he understands that satisfaction, enjoyment, and pleasure, in verse 24 he says, all of these come from the hand of God. We cannot be satisfied, we cannot enjoy, uh, we cannot enjoy the pleasure unless there is something of God involved in what we are doing. You see, without God, all of these things do not exist. Now, I don't know how, but sometime in the week, um, I was reading through, I have various Bible translations, and I came across the Amplified Bible. Now, I don't really like the Amplified Bible in many ways because it's kind of pick your meaning. And I don't think the Bible was written like that. But on this verse, it says something really interesting in verse 2. So where we have um, in the NLT, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. It says this in the Amplified. Vanity of vanities. So this is a bit more old English. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all that is done without God's guidance is vanity. It's futile, meaningless, a wisp of smoke, a vapour that vanishes, merely chasing the wind. But it kind of hit on something. It kind of understood that everything is meaningless if God is not involved. If there is no God, then there is no hope. If there is no God, then we're just animals that are existing on this world, that are surviving, that will one day die and disappear and be remembered no more. And our whole life has no purpose. But if God is God and he created us, we have purpose, we have meaning, and we have a home that we will go to when Christ returns or when we pass away. Is this okay? Sounds like a wind blowing through. Without God, we will never find meaning or purpose. You know, at best, his argument here is that without God, we can bury ourselves in work and we can distract ourselves with pleasure. So, you know, without God, 
we cannot find meaning. We can just lose ourselves in the distractions of the world. Don't you find it interesting that the biggest industry in the world is advertising? And the reason advertising is so big is because people want to be distracted by feeling good about buying stuff. We have TVs in our homes that are endless distractions. We have smartphones in our hands that are endless distractions. We have games and video games. We have cinemas. And it's all there to bring in endless distraction. Because if you removed all of that, people would say, my life is meaningless. I need that to keep me at least not thinking about my existence today. And so without God, there is no purpose. Now in contrast to uh, this scripture that says, meaningless, everything is meaningless, this is how Jesus describes life. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Wow, that's not meaningless. An abundant life is a fruitful life. It is a life that has meaning to it. And that's not to be confused with the quantity of things. Because Jesus says this, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Wow. So it's not about your possessions, it's not about your status, it's not all the stuff that he tried in Ecclesiastes, it's not about those things. It's about a totally different measurement of life. Well, how do we measure it? Well, Galatians 5.22 says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a contrast to what he says in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2.23, he said, Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you an abundance of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I'm going to pour those out into your life. Because the thing is, it is those things we really crave. It's those things that we're after. I mean, most of the movie industry and most of the music industry plays on the first of these, love. It's a totally skewed understanding of love that's just to do with sex and gratification, but it looks at something where God says, but I have the real love that I will impart to you. This kind of life that Jesus promises It's not a sprinkling of religiousness or Christianity. It is a daily and hourly walk with Jesus. It's the only way you're going to get that. There is no way you're going to have that um, abundant life by putting your hand up, praying a prayer, and then doing your own thing. It's making Jesus our shepherd through repentance, faith, and obedience. And all the other stuff that we worry about 
Matthew 6.33 says that he will provide. He will provide our clothes. He will provide our food. I keep thinking back, I've been reading through the Old Testament and the Israelites, they were in the desert for 40 years, but I cannot shake the thought that comes that even though they lived in the desert, that is where they saw the greatest provision of God. They weren't in a land flowing with milk and honey, but in the land flowing with milk and honey, they had to fight the fight. They had to plant the vineyard. They had to harvest. They had to do all the work in the desert. Every morning they got up and God provided their food. God made sure their sandals didn't wear out, that they weren't sick. God did all of that. I wonder what kind of life we are living. Are we living an abundant life or are we living a meaningless life that's just chasing after the wind and what the world offers? Walking with Jesus means never being alone and having an eternal impact through our obedience to him. That's the kind of life he offers. That doesn't need to be a life of fame or power or wealth. It is a life of prayer. It is a life that asks the question in everything we do, what would glorify Jesus in what I'm doing here? I wonder how many times we would switch off the TV if we said, would this glorify Jesus? Daniel said, those who know their God shall do great exploits. And the life that I'm talking about is a life that is steeped in God. It is a life that is daily, moment by moment, connected into God. And the problem is people think that is not possible. There is enough testimony in the Bible and in the history of Christianity of men and women of God who did amazing things because they focused on God every moment of the day. Think of George Muller with his orphanages. Think of Frank Laubach with bringing education to most of the world, literacy. And what was the secret they said? It is a moment by moment living with God. It is recognizing that Jesus is with me here right now, that he is walking with me, that he is speaking to me, that he is empowering me, that he is giving me grace. And I just want to give you three very simple tips or steps in living a life that is steeped in God. And the first one is this, it's becoming a good steward. You know, we need to steward well all of the things that God has given us. And that is not just your money and your possessions, that is your body. Are you looking after your body? That is your time. What are you doing with your time? Is it spent in saying, Lord, I am stewarding this well? And then we come to resources. You could look at every area of your life and the key to a life steeped in God is stewarding your life well. The second step is seeking to glorify God in everything. In every decision, in every conversation, you are asking the question, what is going to glorify God here? When I'm driving my car and somebody does something really stupid and I'm about to say something, I'm thinking, what would glorify Jesus here? We say, Lord, would you bless him? 
You know, it changes our conversation if all of a sudden we're asking the question, what would glorify Jesus in this moment? Think, think about situations in your workplace. Think about situations with your family or with your neighbours. What would glorify God here? Think about the hours you work. Is that glorifying God? Is that glorifying? What's it glorifying? And then the third one connects the first two. We need to ask the help of the Lord moment by moment to do the above because we cannot do them by ourselves. I cannot steward my life well. I cannot glorify God unless moment by moment I am drawing that energy down or is the, the picture that Jean gave. Unless I've got that shower of God pouring down upon me that gives me the grace and the ability to do that. Proverbs 3 verse 5, we know it so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do you understand? In all of your ways, not just in some of your ways. And then 1 Peter 5 verse 7, it says, casting all of your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so it's a really simple thing this morning that what God wants to do is he wants your life to be steeped in him. There are examples of that. You look at Moses, you know, the, the thing I so love about Moses is that Moses was trained by the best educators that the world had to offer when he lived. That was the Egyptians. I mean, he was raised as the son of the king's daughter. I mean, he had all of that. And yet... He learned a humility that when he was leading the people of Israel, he never made a decision himself. He, he sought the Lord. They cried out, we have no water. He says, God, what do I do? We have no food. What do I do? We're at a dead end. What do I do? And that's, that, that's an example for how we are to live. And how did he do it? He spent time with God. He was steeped in God. And what happened? He started to glow with the presence of God. I'm challenged about how we go forward as the people of God in a generation that is completely godless. And I'm convinced that no program is going to change that. People were drawn to Jesus. The presence of Jesus attracted people to him. People were drawn to the apostles. They were drawn to the people of God. The early church, the history shows that people went to be with them because of the kind of people that they were. It wasn't because they had a program that was very flashy that invited them in. And so the challenge for us this morning is to have a life that's steeped in God. A life that recognizes that without Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus said that in the, the Gospel of John. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And some of it is an effort because I find it is hard to get my mind to focus on Jesus all the time. But I find the more I do it, the easier it becomes until it becomes a habit. And so before every task that I do, Lord, what do I need to do here? Give me some wisdom here. On a phone call, Lord, give me some wisdom. On a conversation, Lord, 
What would glorify you here? What do you want to share here? And all of a sudden, Jesus is with me in doing it. That, that simple thing of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Seems to pull Jesus out of heaven and he's there. And I can sense that he is giving me grace and strength to get through. And it happens moment by moment that we have this opportunity Every moment and everything in driving our car, in doing our shopping, in spending time with the family and watching TV and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And walking with him within that. Now, that, that's a radical way to live. And the, the reason it scares me, it may mean we have to throw the TV out the window. TV is such an awful thing now. It may mean that we have to kind of realign what we do as families so that we're sitting there and talking about the things of God, maybe doing soap studies together, praying together with one another, being open to the things of God. And I believe that those kind of lives that are continually steeped in God, that are continually connected to Jesus, those are the lives that have an eternal significance. They're the ones where, without realizing, you start to do things that have a global impact. And that doesn't mean we all need to be George Muller's in that sense, but I think in the areas that we're living in, that God will cause us to be people of impact. Let's pray.